0: up guys and welcome back to another edition of nba sound system basketball is on hiatus but we aren't we'll be bringing you more sound system all the way through until the season returns i'm benyam Kidane, and i'm joined by the one and only kane Pittman. kane how you doing i'm doing well this
1: is uh this is an exciting day for me first first appearance on the sound system uh i'm always
0: listening to you to you fellas go at it so uh i'm i'm, I'm pumped to be here Oh, man, good to have you on. Man, good to have you on. And today we're going to be talking all NBA teams. I know the season uh, isn't on right now, but we've gotten enough of the way through to get a pretty good idea of where things are going to fall out. Um, you know, towards the end of the season, or, or if things progress as they are. So we're going to, today. We're going to go through both our All NBA teams and uh, and argue our way down. Yeah,
1: I I think that uh, this is. I, I always enjoy. Uh, debating the awards and shout out to my guy, Scott Raffi for flying the flag for Brooke Lopez, defensive player of the year. Uh, I have to give him credit for that, but the all NBA, particularly the second and third team, I think is where it gets interesting this season.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think the first team kind of speaks for itself, but uh, the thing I like about the all NBA teams and some people don't like it is the, is the positional designation. The fact that, you know, you have to have a center. It, it's, it's time for the big men to get some love. So, um, the the top fifteen. I mean, which essentially is what the all NBA teams, you know, try and aim to be, is the top fifteen players. But uh, you know, there's some guys that kind of drift between guys like Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler. Are they guards? Are they forwards? Is he a center? Um, so we'll uh, we'll talk all the way through that. But I think uh, the all NBA third team may be where we have the, uh, um, I guess the the biggest kind of breakdown. So I guess we'll start with. Without all-NBA teams, I mean, I'll, I'll hit you with mine. I think this is uh, pretty obvious in uh, Luka Doncic. I've got James Harden, LeBron James, Giannis, and Nikola Jokic. Do you have any any gap there?
1: No, nah, all-NBA first team, uh, I'm the same as you. It's interesting that you bring up the positions and how that could change things because I, I do, you know, when I'm when I'm thinking about centers that are potentially all-NBA, I, I think that there's, there's two guys, and we'll probably get to that in the second team who the other player is, but with Jokic, and, uh, and the other guy, outside of that, there's a bunch of good centers, but are they all NBA caliber? Is there the same battle that there would have been in the, in the late 90s or, or through the early 2000s? Probably not. So I think that the position thing is interesting to, to, to talk about and discuss because uh, we've seen with the All-Star game things have changed and it'll be interesting to see whether the, the All-NBA teams do the same. But I had the same uh, for my first team. I think particularly, obviously, Giannis and LeBron are the absolute locks and the other three guys uh, may be the other three candidates for the MVP. So I think it's pretty conclusive who should be in the first team.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the one guy who I would say maybe some people could disagree with is potentially James Harden, just given, you know, he's he's still leading the league in scoring and had that fantastic start to the season. Kind of tailed off a little bit, which which coincided with Westbrook's, uh, I guess, kind of, Sizzling form, sort of since the since the new year. So I think Hard has probably still done enough. You know, averaging thirty four odd points to <laughs> to be uh yeah. you know, to be on the All NBA first team. And and the other guy is probably Nikola Jokic again. It's a very slow start to the season, but you know once he kind of found his rhythm, Denver Nuggets were obviously still winning games that whole time. But again, it was probably since the start of the new year that, that Jokic kind of you know got himself into shape and really started to play a lot like the guy we saw uh, you know throughout last season.
1: Yeah, Jokic uh in October and, and then through November was his true shooting percentage was in the low 50s and and let's be honest I mean he came into the season out of shape and uh <laughs> while and, and he's he's a true throwback guy this is a guy that literally does not care about training camp and coming into the season uh, in his best shape he he probably thinks well this is going to be a long a long run. This is going to be a long six months of the regular season, and then playoffs. The Nuggets are obviously have aspirations of, of competing for a title. So he's like, "Hey, I'm going to spend October and November running myself into into form." And he certainly did that. After the new year, uh, he was incredible, and particularly in in February, he was he was averaging 25.5 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists, and the true shooting percentage was above 70. So I mean, he went from being a, a concern earlier in the season to now. Uh, I think that he's just going to be a guy that we're going to accept. is Is going to take some time to to get to his best every year, and uh, it's funny. Uh, I was thinking someone asked me recently which team or players might benefit or or struggle with the with the hiatus, and I said uh, Nikola Jokic might be one that that struggles if you give him a couple of months off, and then they come straight back into maybe a regular season, maybe a playoffs. Uh, I think that you would have some concern about Jokic based on what we've seen in the past.
0: And this is why I have nothing but respect for Jokic. This man played international <laughs> ball all off-season. Yeah. so it's not like he was just chilling in yeah. Serbia. This man was in camp with the uh, the Serbian World Cup team, played and, and 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 still kind of took his time to to get himself ready. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe uh, you know, maybe, maybe it'll work in his favor. Maybe it won't. But um, you know, on on that topic, you know. Of, of, of teams that, that may sort of see some benefit a team like the philadelphia 76ers yep. um and we'll get to Joel Embiid, who i have in my uh my all nba second team but they're definitely a team that you know things weren't going well for them uh you know heading into the playoffs they they sort of had that little run prior to the all-star break but having this kind of window for them uh you know to get everyone healthy and you know if the season does resume it it, it could be a little bit of a blessing in disguise for them
1: yeah no question i mean the, Joel Embiid is there's always a question mark over his health and i think uh, we've seen at stretches through this season, uh, and I also had him in, in my second team. Uh, I think he was the, the clear option along with uh, Jokic at the center position, but he's always been a guy that you've seen, whether it's back-to-backs or, or on tough road trips or, or stretches where the schedule d- works against the Sixers, that Embiid at times looks like he's just not healthy enough to get through those games or he isn't able to play at that uh, top level, that high intensity that we see with him. And when he plays at that level, He's as dominant as anyone in the game. But uh, as you mentioned, obviously, the other one, Ben Simmons. I mean, we, we still really don't know uh, where he's at in terms of the back and, and the extent of that injury. So there's no question. I mean, the Sixers maybe in general needed some time to to sit back and assess what was happening with that team. But the, there's no doubt that the Sixers, I don't think, given where they were sitting six in the East, uh, would uh, see this as a, as a huge negative. Let's just say that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's it's not as though they were gearing up for a big playoff run. Right. They were still kind of having their struggles, uh, you know, with just Tobias Harrison and, uh, and Al Horford kind of trying to fly the flag for them there. And, you know, they they, they stayed afloat, but th- that was kind of the period where you want to try and start making their run. And for them, you know, obviously uh, having those injuries and, and you know, still not finding that identity uh, that I think they probably thought would come a little bit earlier in the season. Uh, so for them, if, if if we're on hiatus, I think that's uh, that's not a bad deal. Uh, for the 76ers. But a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who, again, started things a little slow. People would argue that he could probably be on the All-NBA first team, but the fact that you have guys like LeBron and Giannis standing uh, in the way, I mean, that just kind of shows you the depth of talent uh, that we're currently working with at the uh, the forward positions. Cool. All right. So the two guards that I had for my All-NBA second team, obviously alongside Kawhi and AD uh, as the forwards, I went for Damian Lillard and Russell Westbrook. And uh, I think Lillard... Lillard probably has an argument that he could have been, you know, on the first team just given his numbers and, and the way that he was shooting and scoring the ball, especially during that uh, that month of February. Uh, obviously, winning does kind of impact this. The Blazers, you know, as as we left the season, were are still three and a half games back, kind of of that eight seed, and and you know, he, I, I still picked the Blazers to to sneak into the playoffs. Um, you know, obviously with Lillard, uh, Lillard coming back, but uh, Westbrook was the, another guy for me who I think really really turned a corner. Uh, obviously, struggled a little bit, you know, in Houston at the start of the season. Clint Capella gets traded, and, and now all of a sudden Westbrook is uh, is living at the at the rim twenty four seven, and and the numbers are there. You know, averaging you know twenty seven 8, eight. He's 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 been as good uh, as you can kind of ask of a guy put in that situation, and uh, there, there has not been a little bit of pull between between Westbrook and Harden. But I I was one of the few people that liked this move uh, for Westbrook <laughs> preseason. I, I I had blind faith that this was going to work. I still don't know if it has worked or what the uh, the long-term, I guess, success will be uh, of, of Westbrook and Harden as a, as a pairing. But so far, I think you can't have any complaints if you're Houston. Yeah, I mean, this, this is one of the
1: teams that I, I would be most looking forward to seeing uh, in the postseason because we saw just before we went into the hiatus, the Rockets had a pretty strong stretch playing with this super small lineup. And and Westbrook clearly over February, late January, and then through to February, really moved away from the outside shot that has just been a horrific uh, efficiency shot for him over the last few seasons that he has really refused to go away from. He really did that. But I would be curious to see how this super small lineup goes in the playoffs in a a series. I think that they could eventually uh, come unstuck. I mean, we saw them have good results against a team like the Lakers. Do I think that uh, the small... Small ball Houston Rockets lineup could challenge the Lakers in the playoff series. I don't think so. I mean, you, you're going you're to end up being overwhelmed by LeBron and Davis and, and the size that the Lakers have. But uh, Westbrook didn't make my second team. The, I, I did have Lillard as well. The guy that I put in my second team was Chris Paul. And hey, I like that. I, I I can't always say that I've been a huge Chris Paul fan, and it has nothing to do with with him on the floor. By the way, I mean he's just one of those guys that I think is sometimes uh, with the flopping and the complaining. I mean he, he can be frustrating to watch. But if he's not on your team, you don't you don't like exactly. Chris Paul.
0: That's the whole point of Chris Paul.
1: <laughs> You're right. You're right. But what I will say is I I do respect the hell out of him. And this season, I, I did not see this coming. I think he goes to Oklahoma City and everyone assumes that uh, he's not going to finish the season there and he's going to get traded and the Thunder are going to do whatever they can to try and uh, move that just huge contract and maybe find a way uh, to, to continue the youth movement that we thought the Thunder were going to go down while well, they, they were incredible. And it was led by uh, Chris Paul being a terrific leader. And the thing that uh, I love about him the most is anytime the Thunder are in a close game, Chris Paul became absolute must watch He he was ridiculous in the clutch. I've got the the clutch stats up here uh, from this season. and No one in the league played in more games or more minutes that uh, that had clutch scenarios in this game where it's five points or less in the the final five minutes. He shot 53.5% from the field in those games. He was deadly in the mid-range, 36% from three. And he became an all-star again. And I think... Not many people out there would have predicted Chris Paul's last All-Star game was at the age of 30 in 2016. I don't think many predicted going to Oklahoma City, he would be an All-Star in 2020, uh, but he did that, and I think it was well-deserved. And the Thunder became a really, really fun team to watch uh, with, with a bunch of guys that they have on that roster. And I think Chris Paul, even though the stats don't jump uh, off the screen at you, I think what he did on the floor, uh, he deserves it. He was, he was an All-NBA player for sure this year.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I, I had him on my third team, but you could you could just as easily make yeah. an argument for him uh, on the second team. But what I liked about Chris Paul is the way that he managed everyone else on that Thunder yeah. team. You know, you had that three guard lineup with Shay Gilgis Alexander, who is going to be a star, Dennis Schroeder, who probably probably is the sixth man of the year uh, this season. But the way Stephen Adams's game kind of came to life, Gallo, and 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 everyone else on that roster, Chris Paul was just kind of the the con- doctor uh, of that team that they were only four games back of the Clippers for the two seed and which is it's ridiculous crazy. to think about um, and and you know obviously the, the, the clutch points I think he had 144 uh, which was the leading uh, number for for guys in the league so the fact that he's taking over games but he's taking them over all jumpers it's just mid-range <laughs> Chris Paul so you know you love to see it in the uh, in the era of analytics this guy just he knows you know as much as Westbrook went back to what he knows best Chris Paul has just gone to, with what he knows best, and that's that's killing guards with uh, with mid range jumpers.
1: I mean, the the big thing for me with Chris Paul is we always think uh, of Chris Paul in terms of uh, what impact he has on on the locker room, and we've seen that while uh, his teammates have have yeah, there's been a, a high percentage of his teammates have said they've loved playing next to him. We've also seen in recent times that he appeared to be clashing a little bit with James Harden, and I think that was a, a big part of why. People assume that that Westbrook and Harden might have have some issues, but uh, everyone in the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, locker room is just happy. They were enjoying playing together. As you said, uh, Chris Paul was really unselfish. He's always been one of the the best pick-and-roll point guards in the league, but he was really thriving in that situation, and and the big thing is he seemed happy. I mean, he's at the point in his career where he wants to win, and uh, I, I don't know whether at the start of the season he would have expected that this Thunder team was going to be pushing to potentially uh, take home court in the West, but uh, he, he he's been fantastic. And the Thunder, you know, maybe the the biggest surprise team in in the league this year.
0: Yeah, the Chris Paul demands a lot of his teammates, and and that can kind of go one of two ways. And yeah. and when you have a younger crew, which is what he has now in Oklahoma City, you know, there's guys out there that want that. Shea Gildas Alexander is trying to learn as much about the point guard position with arguably the best teacher uh, he could ask for. Um, you know, guys like Dennis Schroeder, who has a lot to prove, guys like Gallinari, uh, and even Steven Adams as well. You know, we, we saw him sacrifice a lot playing with Russell Westbrook, giving up rebounds and, and not necessarily getting touches that he would like. To. But the fact that Chris Paul demands a lot of his teammates, but then in this scenario, is feeding them the ball, is putting them in, in good situations. I think it's easier, uh, I guess, to stomach because you want to learn from Chris Paul. You want to be led by Chris Paul. And, and this may be just a virtue of having the right roster, almost by accident, around Chris Paul. Uh, but it's worked out pretty nicely. So shout out to Sam Presti for, again, uh, making a move that no one saw coming would, would, would be good. But uh, here we are, the Thunder, uh, you know, arguably uh, you know one of the better teams in terms of closing out games. I will give them this, though. They put themselves in a lot of bad situations, down 20 in the yeah. third quarter, down 15 in the fourth quarter. But... Uh, all that means is they must watch on, on League Pass because every time you look away from the TV, come back five minutes later, they're down one and, and now we have a game. So they've, they've probably given us the most entertainment in terms of thrilling finishes uh, this season. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take my hat off to them in that regard.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the flip side that you have to look at. There's a reason why they were in so many close games. Uh, it's because they weren't blowing out teams. I mean, there's, there's uh, a very obvious reason why Giannis wasn't in the near the top of clutch minutes uh, this season because the Bucks weren't in too many close games. So that's, that's the other he side was, of he it. He was in
0: sweats by the, by the fourth <laughs> yeah. quarter. He was chill.
1: Right. And I think, you know, it's, it, when you talk about demanding a lot of young players, it makes me think of a guy that was on the bubble... He didn't make my All-NBA third team. But Jimmy Butler, there is a theory out there that would suggest that Jimmy Butler is one of these players that needs to be the number one guy and and be the, the dominant leader, the voice in the locker room and have young guys uh, appreciate that, that kind of hard-driven uh, style in the locker room. I think Chris Paul is to a certain extent like that and I think Jimmy Butler as well. And we've seen uh, Butler come off a, a rough couple of years when you think from going from Chicago to Minnesota. That didn't work out. Went to Philadelphia. They had problems there. That didn't work out. We don't really know what actually happened in that scenario. But now he's gone down to Miami, and the Heat have been one of the, uh, you know, more impressive teams in the East. And and as we came into the hiatus, they were coming off uh, a couple of big wins. They beat the Bucks uh, at home just a couple of weeks before that, and, and Butler was playing at a really high level. He didn't make my thirteen, but he was one of those those bubble guys that I had uh, for for this this All NBA thirteen. He's, he
0: he did make the cut for me uh in third team and uh, just before we move on to Butler who did you have at the five for your uh, your all NBA second team?
1: Yeah, I had Embiid. Uh, I think yeah, uh, I had Embiid. Yeah, and with Jokic, it it's funny because so many people still criticise Embiid for the season he was having, and then you look at the numbers and you're like, okay, I mean, he's a twenty and ten guy nightly. He brings absolute elite defense at the five position. Um, it, it's it's hard to to overlook him. He was he was the obvious choice.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the and and that again probably does speak to I guess the the bigs that we have in the league this right. season. You know, um, you know, there's other guys that were kind of on the bubble for me, but guys like Gobert and even Adebayo, you you really have to make an argument as to as to whether they could be yeah uh, in the second team over Embiid. So I, I I think Embiid is a lock. So we had we both had Lillard, Kawhi, Davis, Embiid, and and split on Westbrook and uh, and Chris Paul, but. Um, let's go back to Jimmy Butler for a second, and another guy who's designated as a forward, but you could argue is probably uh, more of a two-guard, if not a point guard at times, uh, for the Miami Heat, given how much he has the ball in his hands. But he's another guy, like you said, like Chris Paul, and which is probably why a lot of people thought they, they might end up being teammates uh, in Miami at some point this season. But they put the right pieces around Butler uh, to succeed in that he doesn't necessarily have to carry the offensive load Uh, throughout the game because they do have a depth of talent. But again, at the end of games, that's why you have a guy like Jimmy Butler that can tie it all together. Um, And obviously the emergence of Adebayo was a big reason uh, why the Heat have been so successful. But, you know, I I like the fact that Jimmy Butler kind of took that risk in in going to a worse team on paper, but he kind of has put them at a similar level as the Philadelphia 76ers. A lot of, uh, I guess, the Sixers' wounds may be self-inflicted, but... Um, when you have a guy like Pat Riley, who's bringing in all... Of, I, I don't even know half of these dudes from the D-League, G-League. <laughs> He's these, getting guys from anywhere coming in. Duncan Robinson hitting threes uh, like, like his Steph Curry. Uh, Kendrick Nana has obviously been fantastic as well. But it's, it's the fact that Jimmy Butler is the leader and they follow his lead. That's the, that they, he sets the tone for them. Um, and, you know, when you look at a guy like Butler, who maybe rubs people the wrong way, but if you have guys falling in line with him and that's your leader... I, I wouldn't be surprised if the heat were a team that, that you know kind of made a Cinderella run uh in the postseason just given the way that they kind of dogged teams like the Bucks, uh and the 76ers when they played them this season
1: yeah eric Spolstra, man I mean when you when you talk about the elite coaches in the league it's funny how it works out I mean you think about a guy like Spolstra who came in uh he he obviously was a coach of that of the heatles that that incredible a uh, team that, that won a couple of championships down there But then the Heat have always just been a team I mean, they haven't bottomed out And Spolster's always a guy uh, that has strong defensive teams He gets guys to buy in and, and play together And we've, we've seen that with Butler for sure But this for me, I don't know about you But this for me, this the, the Wings on the All-NBA third team Might have been the most difficult decision I think that there was four clear guys for me That were battling for two spots I had Jimmy Butler uh, was obviously one of them. Then there was Chris Middleton, Pascal Siakam, and Jason Tatum as well. And it's difficult to fit four guys into two spots. You said you had Butler. Who, who else was the, the, the guy that squeezed in for you?
0: Yeah, look, this was this was tough because, as you said, between those four guys, if you, if you saw any of those two on the third team, you go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. They're all sure. having uh, great seasons. I, I went with Butler just given the fact that he's kind of the guy in Miami and, and the success that they're having. The numbers don't really uh, support Butler, but I think when you factor in defense and does this guy help you win – I think that's kind of what pushes Butler over the line for me, and and I had to go with Siakam uh, as my number two, as my second forward uh, on the third team. Obviously, the the Raptors' record, you know, second in the Eastern Conference, and, and him emerging as that guy uh, for the Raptors. I mean, it was either Lowry or Siakam. I think you had to have one of the Raptors in there, and I think Siakam, in terms of consistency and his role on that team and the improvement he made uh, this season, I, that that was enough for me to put him over the line. But that leaves Jason Tatum and Chris Middleton, who both have very, very strong cases. Did you? Who, who was your your second, or I guess your your two forwards for the uh, for the third team?
1: Yeah, I had Siakam in, and I I do think that we saw Siakam start to struggle a little bit, and I, I think a big part of that was uh, maybe the the giant step that he had to take this season. And, and last year he was a guy that really burst onto the scene and, and made that giant step. But then you lose Kawhi Leonard, and all of a sudden, his shot attempts went from 11 a game to 18 a game. His usage percentage went through the roof. But the thing I like the most about him, when you when you spoke about him expanding his game, the three three point shot, we know last year he was basically a guy that was camped out in the corner, and and he would he would knock down a corner three from time to time, but it wasn't a reliable shot. Uh, this year, he he attempted 200 or well so far. He's attempted 240. Three pointers from above the break at 35%. He only attempted 63 for the entire season last year at 27%. So, I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, Siakam, like the, the leap that he's taken, even though there's been a big hit in efficiency, I mean, we expect that. If you go from uh, being a, a medium volume guy to the lead guy and expected to uh, run the offense in your first season, the efficiency is going to take a bit of a hit. But Siakam's been super impressive. We know what he does defensively. And the other guy, um, and I'm, I'm totally fine. VQs. This would been a Homer pick, but I went with Milton, um, and and I do think that there's something to be said. Don't worry, for- I got a Homer pick
0: coming up next.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, all right, we're 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 cool with that then. But I, I do think there is something to be said for being a number one option. And Chris Milton clearly is not the number one option in Milwaukee, but uh, what he has been able to do uh, over 21 points per game, uh, six rebounds, four assists, on uh, ridiculous efficiency. If the season were to end now. Uh, he, he, he actually is 49.9% from the field, so 50-40-90 uh, hanging in the balance there. But if he was to get that, then he would only be the fifth player to average over 20 points per game and have the 50-40-90 splits. He joined Dirk, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Larry Bird. So, I mean, let's, let's be honest. That's, a, that's some decent company to join right there. And the other thing with Middleton, if you look at the games where he was the number one option, where uh, Giannis didn't play. The Bucs were 5-2 and two in those games, and Milton averaged 29.1 points, 6.6 rebounds, and 5.4 assists. He had a 50-point game in there as well. Chris Milton has gone, I think, in the last year or two from being a, a heavily underrated guy to someone that, you know, now a two-time All-Star is, is really respected around the league. But I think after signing that contract last year, $178 million, he's, he's stepped up and he's gone to another level. I, I think that the yeah, you know, maybe at the start of the season, if you had have said Chris Milton was going to be All NBA, you might have got some laughs. But I think, I think, I mean, it's it's a well deserved spot if he were to get it.
0: Yeah, look, and I I don't think you can argue against it in a sense that the Bucks, you know, were on pace to win seventy games of you know streaks ahead in the Eastern Conference, and 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 for them to have two All NBA players isn't that crazy? You know, considering how good they are. If the Lakers are going to have you know LeBron and AD you can make the argument that, that Middleton definitely deserves to be there. But to your point about him, you know, making the all-star team, getting that big contract, it kind of switched around from him being, this is a very, you know, nice number two option or, or, or a good yeah. kind of guy to, to run with Giannis. Then when you get that big deal, you're an all-star, people are like, all right, well, now you need to be producing uh, at that level. But the fact that Middleton is such a dangerous three-point shooter and, you know, he can score in, in, in a lot of different ways, whether it's from mid-range, from beyond the arc, um, and I think he kind of just falls into Giannis's shadow a little bit because Giannis is so dominant. You kind of forget that Middleton is often the bailout guy when maybe things aren't working. You know, driving to the rim, they'll just flick to Middleton and then bang, mid-range jumper goes down. He, he kind of just keeps things ticking over, but that's not glamorous. That's not sexy. People aren't there to see that. So he can kind of, I think, suffer from that a little bit in that his game isn't necessarily the am no one no one's saying I'm I'm tuning in to watch Chris Middleton, but he's a he's a very, very good number two option there for uh for Giannis. So I think you know he kinda of flies under the radar a little bit, which probably hurts him uh to some degree in that regard. But when you kind of break down the numbers and the fact that the Bucs are as good as they are, that kind of argument settles itself. But looking at these guys, Butler, Siakam, Middleton, Jason Tatum's gotta feel ripped off here considering <laughs> how good he's playing uh or was playing I, I guess over the last sort of months. Uh, since the All-Star break. This guy clearly made it clear that the Boston Celtics are his team, which is no mean feat for a 21-year-old to do and just kind of claim that throne when he's playing alongside a guy like Kemba Walker, an established All-Star, and and obviously Jalen Brown as well, uh, who he's been coming through the ranks with.
1: Yeah, you know, I I had Siakam in there, and then I was debating between. My next two up were Middleton or Tatum. And ultimately, I, I thought about it, and I said, look, Celtics fans might be a little bit upset with this, but then I also realized that no one in the league respects no fan base in the league outside of Milwaukee respects Chris Milton more than the Celtics. They think he they think he could be an MVP winner with the things that he's done to Boston over the years. So it took it me over the edge, and I went with Milton. But uh, Tatum, you're right. I mean, Eastern Conference Player of the Year and uh, Player of the Month in February, and just had some monster monster games, including a, a big one against the the Lakers at Staples Center. So. He's a guy that maybe if this went on for the final month through March and into April, and maybe it still will, maybe we'll catch up with the the regular season a little later on. But he's a guy that could definitely be continued on that trajectory. He might force his way in there and and make the decision uh,
0: his own. Yeah, look, I mean, when you look at the games that, you know, he had against the Lakers, against the Clippers, where he's putting up 40 pieces, hitting big-time shots in uh, in, in overtime against the Clippers and, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to, to say that this guy isn't an All NBA player. And again, the Celtics, uh, you know, as we left them a number three seed uh, in in the Eastern Conference, it, it, it would seem harsh for them to not have an All NBA uh, representative. And and you know, as we left it, Tatum, you know, definitely is that guy. Kemba Walker was one of the guys I kind of had on the bubble. But again, uh, games player probably did work uh, work against him. But I think when it all comes down to it, if eight, you know two of those four guys miss out. The other, you know, the two two guys that miss out are going to feel like they were all NBA players, and and, and vice versa. So it's going to be a an interesting to watch to see how it all plays out. But um, moving on to the other guard position, I had Chris Paul um, and I had Ben Simmons in there as well, sneaking in. Now this is a little bit of homerism, but uh, <laughs> let's let, let's argue here. Who, who did you have as your two guards uh, for the third team?
1: So I had Westbrook, uh, which you know, obviously me and you have, have switched CP3 and Westbrook there. I think Westbrook, honestly, uh, over the last month, just just really surged into uh, contention here with the Rockets, and even uh, some outside talk in, in terms of who would actually get more MVP votes, whether it would be Harden or Westbrook. I mean, that's how well uh, Westbrook was was playing over uh, since the turn of the new year, really. My other guard, I went with Bradley Beale. Now, okay. Like normally, I I have a strong bias against big stats, bad teams, guys, and Bill and the Wizards certainly fall into that category. But second leading scorer in in the league, and uh, it, it's funny. I mean, I think back to when we uh, did the uh, our all star predictions who we thought we going to be the all star starters, and I made a decision when we when we put our predictions in together uh, with the our team at, at nba.com, put the uh, teams together. I made a mistake and I've regretted it ever since. I put Trey Young in my starting lineup and he did end up starting. So in the end, the prediction was correct, but I felt bad about putting Trey in there because uh, he might be the worst defender in the entire NBA. And, uh, <laughs> and, and look, he's scoring points and I
0: get it. But- I think statistically he is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, exactly, and, and I felt extreme guilt about putting Trey Young in there Because even though the prediction ended up being right Bradley Beal, if I'm going to put in a guy and reward a guy For being a, a, a good stats, bad team guy Bradley Beal and the stretch that he was on With the back-to-back 50-point games Yes, they, they lost both games Which was kind of history in the making there for Beal But uh, I think that he's been a guy that, that has carried this team And if you look at some of the lineups the Wizards have had on some of these nights, I mean there's legitimately nights where there's, there's fans out there that may not know a single other player that's on the floor for the Wizards outside of Bradley Beal. He tries on defense. That's not something you can say for Trae Young. So uh, I flipped what I did from the All-Star uh, starters prediction. I put Bradley Beal in there. I rewarded him for his offensive play this season. Uh, but, again, I can certainly see an argument for Ben Simmons, who, by the way, I think is a lock for an all-NBA All, all NBA defense uh, position. I mean, he's as elite as they come in there.
0: Yeah, look, and I wrote a piece yesterday over at, uh, at NBA.com making the case for Simmons to make the all-NBA team, but once he sort of broke it all down, it was pretty much a case of him really only having a shot at making the all-NBA third team, and then you have to make that argument, is he better than Chris Paul? Is he having a better season than Kemba Walker, Kyle Lowry, Donovan Mitchell? And then you throw in guys like Trey Young and Bradley Beal, uh, who obviously their numbers do kind of support it. Um, but looking at the overall picture, Ben Simmons plays defense. He's one of the best defenders in the league. Uh, yes, we know he's not shooting the ball, and and he's still able to you know, throw up 16 points a game um, and clamp down the best defender on the other team, facilitate the entire Sixers offense. And and again, similar to LeBron, when when Ben Simmons is off the floor, that Sixers offense is. Is rough, you know. They, they they don't have a secondary playmaker. But shout out to Shake Milton; he was doing his <laughs> thing while uh, while Simmons was out. But um, you know, factoring in wins, defense, and then obviously the numbers, that's kind of what snuck Simmons in uh, for me for this particular argument. I see, I see how wishy-washy I am, uh, but at the same time, I think a guy like Donovan Mitchell uh, could you know, the numbers definitely support him. And, and when we talk about Chris Paul's closing out games, Donovan Mitchell low-key became one of the best closers in the league uh, this season in terms of clutch scoring as well. So while, while we have the kind of debate with the forwards about who could kind of miss out, for me, I think the All-NBA third team, uh, personally, I think Chris Paul's a lock. He has to be on an All-NBA team. So it's really Trey Young, Bradley Beal, Donovan Mitchell, Kemba Walker, Kyle Lowry, Ben Simmons, do the Sixers deserve to have two All NBA guys, considering they're sixth in the Eastern Conference and haven't necessarily been that good? That's probably what what works against Simmons uh, in that regard. Because for me, Embiid is a lock uh, on that second team. So I, I don't even really know if I believe myself saying Ben <laughs> Simmons is All NBA 13.
1: <laughs> well, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. So as as it stands, Ben Simmons has played fifty four games. Now, I think that it was basically assumed that he was not going to play another regular season game if uh, it went on as scheduled. So 54 games. What's your cutoff for games that need to be played for All-NBA? Because I think there has to be some sort of mark that you need to get to before years simply can't be considered.
0: Yeah, I think games played is a, is a, is a big factor. And we've seen guys make All-NBA teams only playing sort of 50, 60 games. I think Boogie a couple of years ago. But on the flip side, the numbers have to be ridiculous if you're putting up that kind of production in, in a short space of time, then you can kind of make an argument and, and that may be where Simmons kind of falls over. Um, I think if you play at least 60 games, you have to be great to be considered for all NBA. But at the same time, if if you're able to to impact your team that much in 65, 60 games, I, I think there's an argument there that you can still sneak him in. 54 is probably where you can maybe kind of draw the line, but um, I mean out of out of those other guys You had Westbrook on your third team I have Chris Paul Let's lock those guys in Who from the other From the remaining uh, Remaining guards Would you have in over Over Simmons
1: um, So the only other guys uh, Or the only really Guard I had on the bubble Was Kyle Lowry I mean I, I know you mentioned Donovan Mitchell I, I think Lowry Is a guy That uh, certainly could be Considered again You have to factor in everything The fact that the Raptors lost uh Kawhi Leonard and all these guys had to step up. We know what Kyle Lowry did in the, in the playoffs last season. But I think this year, again, running, running that team, running that offense, being the leader, uh, I think that he's, again, put in a, a tremendous season now. He's had some injury concerns uh, of his own, as has just about every single Raptors player on the roster. But Kyle Lowry was the other one that I had on the bubble before uh, ultimately uh, sitting on Westbrook and, and Bradley Beal.
0: And who would you have at the, uh, the five in your third team?
1: So, again, we keep mentioning this, but I, I thought that the, the center field was really only down to four guys, even when I, when I sat down to put my teams together. So the third team came down to Rudy Gobert or Bam Adebayo for me. And uh, I, I didn't have Jimmy Butler in my third team, uh, as I already mentioned. So it, with that in mind, I rewarded the Heat with a guy that I think has become uh, the most important player to what the Heat are trying to do on offense and defense. We know defensively what Bam has been able to do, maybe uh, highlighted more than ever against the the Bucks in that, that win a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there's a couple of really impressive one-on-one defensive possessions that he had with Giannis. Let's be honest, I mean, there's not many guys in the league that can uh, slow him down. Bam was successful on that night. And then offensively, I mean, the amount of times that they run they they give him the ball at the top and allow him to run the offense. He's a beautiful passer for a big guy. Uh, Adebayo has taken another step this season, and uh, I, I had to slot him in ahead of Rudy Gobert for the Jazz, who who have just really struggled all season long uh, to get things going defensively. They aren't even close to where they have been in, in previous seasons. And defense was what uh, led the Jazz to a bunch of their wins and had them right up near the top of the East, uh, top of the West, sorry. So uh, I had Bam ahead of Rudy for, for those
0: reasons. I ain't, I ain't mad at that. I ain't mad at that. Let me ask you this, game. Is Bam already the Heat's best player? Well, I think
1: so. And again, I mean, you already pointed to the fact that uh, Jimmy Butler's numbers uh, are down a little bit in terms of scoring uh, and really across the board. But for me, it, it, it has been clearly Bam Adebayo, the guy that has been the most important player on this Heat roster. You talk about the bunch of, role players that they have around them, but it all functions around Bam. I mean, like I said, uh, his ability to, to pass, his ability to, to run out in transition and finish plays there. Defensively, he's the anchor. Uh, I think, you know, if you had to lose one player for, for the Heat, not that you would ever want to, but I think that uh, Bam Adebayo is the last guy that the Heat would choose. I mean, everything, everything revolves around him and it's, it's been remarkable to see that he's turned into this player despite the fact that they picked up the, the, marquee, the marquee guy and Jimmy Butler.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that's the argument there is where do you go to replace the production that you get out of Adebayo? Out of I, I don't know if there's that many players at that position that can do the things he does. I mean, to get 30-point, 20-point triple-doubles and make it look easy, um, and the, the fact that he's efficient when he's using the ball, he, he's playmaking, the, there's so many different things that he brings to the table. And um, there was probably a six-week period where the debate was, oh, this Adebayo is going to be the Heat's best player in a couple of years. And then he pretty much just turned out to be the best player in a couple of weeks. Yeah, no question. And,
1: and it's funny. I mean, you think about this Heat team and you, you think about the, the Whiteside years over these uh, previous seasons. I think Bam were replacing... And I don't know Whiteside was coming off the bench certainly towards the end of his time in Miami anyway, but I think that you compare the production in terms of box score, what Whiteside was bringing to this Heat team, and then you compare that to what Bam Adebayo brings that isn't always recorded. But the the things that he does on the floor on both ends, and it just it just shows you. I mean, the impact is not always in the box score, as as we all know. But uh, even simply uh, making Adebayo's role more prominent, having him as virtually the five at all times, and and remove, and moving on from from Whiteside uh, in itself has just been just been huge for this Heat team defensively and also offensively.
0: The Heat had no reservations trading to yeah. sign Whiteside this summer. Like they, they knew, they knew what they had uh, in Adebayo. and uh, um, you know, I mean, Team USA didn't know that. Um, he, he was a guy that uh, they got cut um, before they went over to the World Cup, <laughs> and, and and a guy that, in hindsight, was probably the answer to a lot of a lot of their problems there. Um, but looking down this list of, of of other guys who who could make an argument for me, Trey Young, you know. I'm happy with him being the starter in the All-Star game because Trey Young is the perfect guy to have in an all-star team, not necessarily an all-NBA team. Um, you know, we spoke about Jason Tatum uh and 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 Kemba Walker as well uh with the Celtics. Uh, another guy who I sort of thought you know could potentially, but not really, Brandon Ingram. You know, he's been great for yeah. the uh for the Pelicans, but I think he's still just in that uh, you know, you're maybe next up uh to make an all NBA team. Um, other than that, was there any other guys you thought could maybe have an argument to sneak onto, onto that third team? Does Donovan Mitchell do anything for you?
1: No, I, I really steer clear of the, the Jazz guys, honestly. Um, I, like I said, Gobert was in the mix. Uh, when, I, when I spoke to you about games and how many games you would have to play to qualify, I, I guess, or I assume that you're ruling out Zion Williamson and he's 19 games to this point. Yeah, get out of here with that. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Let's there's, there's be real though, Zion. The way that he was playing, you talk about Ingram possibly being a, a chance. Uh, Zion in nineteen games, twenty-three point six points, uh, and also grabbing six point eight rebounds. There's there's an outside chance that he might have been able to to sneak in there. Uh, I guess I guess <laughs> I, I guess again, this comes down to the position thing.
0: If you if you make a two guards, three forwards, maybe he squeeze in there. I don't know. Shout, shout out to him for just turning up and just straight away being the best player on the team. That's that's hard to do. That's no, he was, no disrespect to the Pelicans, I mean, they were playing well.
1: Well, uh, all the all the preseason hype on the, on the Pelicans and how excited people were that I thought was heavily overrated uh, proved to be right. I was I was watching every single Pelicans game, but outside of outside of that, honestly, all jokes aside, I, I didn't I didn't really have anyone else. I, I had my five guys that were on the bubble that we already discussed. I'd Gobert, Tatum, Butler, Lowry, and and also Trey Young. So I, I didn't really. Look outside of that. Uh, I think your selection of Ben Simmons is... I I do think that it's a reasonable one, Um, again, for what he does on both sides of the floor. I don't think defense comes into All-NBA as much as it should, but, uh, again, I I think it was just the injuries, the game limit that probably steered me away from him. But I I didn't have anyone outside of
0: that. Yeah, look, I was... was, uh... I was probably ambitious in my in my selection of Ben Simmons, but um, man, that stretch he had when Embiid was out, yeah. uh, you know, just heading into the All Star break, when when it was his team, that was a frightening, I guess, premonition of what the future could look like for Ben Simmons with uh, with the right pieces around him, and, and not necessarily discounting uh, one of those pieces being Joel Embiid. I'm I'm still very much in the this can work with these two guys. I want to I, I want to see this thing out. I'm I, I'm not in the break of up camp just yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that when you see a stretch like that and the, the other period that everyone thinks back to with Simmons without Embiid was heading into the playoffs a couple of seasons ago, it does make you think. And and it makes you wonder how long the Sixers are going to stick with this. Because I think, you know, realistically, if you looked at the way the Sixers were playing, their struggles on the road this season, there was huge question marks whether they were going to be able to, you know, maybe even get out of the first round. I mean, they were eyeing off. Uh, first-round series with the Boston Celtics. And there's no question, uh, you know, irrespective of the injuries they had, a first-round playoff loss would be an absolute disaster for this Sixers team with all the money they spent uh, in the offseason. Uh, I think the big problem with Philadelphia is just they haven't kept the same roster they haven't sat on the same group of guys and I think it's easy to to point the blame at Embiid and Simmons but uh, we see this every single season teams that that bring in marquee guys or teams that have wholesale changes on their roster take some time and this has been the Sixers every single every single season that these two have been together and I I just don't think that that can be easy but when you spend that much money the pressure's on and the Sixers were, were really struggling
0: yeah, look, I, I think a first-round exit probably would be the recipe to, yeah, uh, amazing, to shake yeah. things up uh, for the 76ers. But um, as we said, it's it, it's hard to sort of make these calls now. We don't know where the NBA season is is at, given the uh, the current uh, crisis that's going on. So um, hopefully things can return to normal sooner rather than later and we can finish off this 2019-20 uh, this regular season and, uh, and get into some playoff action because uh, I'm dying without basketball. I don't know what to do with myself right now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, all I got is time, so I'm happy to to debate uh, anything at any time. But uh, I I will leave it by saying CP three, all
0: NBA second team. That's that's my that's my one call. That's what I want to see. Hey, look, I can't argue with you on that front. Uh... As, as I said earlier, we'll be, we'll be here all through the hiatus on NBA Sound System. Uh, so please be, be sure to come back and, uh, and, and, and check us out. Uh, you can find the show uh, everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, um, but until then, Kane, thanks for joining us. I'm Benyam Kidane for Kane Pittman. We'll see you next time.